What's up, guys? Welcome to Wellness Beast, your raw and unfiltered resource for all things wellness. If you're interested in healthy living but are tired of the boring, uptight approach, then this podcast is for you. Each episode will cover a variety of topics that include down-to-earth health tips, business, lifestyle, and mindset, with a mix of special guests sharing their knowledge and expertise on these subjects. I'm your host, Chantel Rodriguez, content creator, artist, and wellness entrepreneur. Welcome back to the Wellness Beast podcast. Today is super exciting because not only is it the second episode of Wellness Beast, but we've also got our very first guest on the show. She is a wellness lifestyle blogger, entrepreneur, mom, wife. She's absolutely killing the game, y'all. She's got over a million YouTube subscribers, has worked with major brands like Walmart and Nordstrom, and she's also got her own product out in collaboration with Dermot E. And she's also a beauty board member for Hey Roven. Needless to say, she's a busy woman. Please welcome Miss Alba Ramos, a.k.a. Sunkiss Alba. Thank you. Thank you. This is so exciting. This is my first podcast ever. And you're my first guest. It's like the perfect little team. Yeah, first for both of us. <laughs> so I'm just going to jump right into it because I'm sure people are not going to want to hear me just jabber on. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, like how you got started with your journey into wellness and blogging and all that? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Alba Ramos. I am Dominican. I was raised in New York, but I was born in the Dominican Republic. So I grew up really living a conventional lifestyle in America. That's the best way that I can call it. Um, But my background with my parents, they were very naturally uh, involved in not necessarily health. I wouldn't call it that, but I come from a family that did know how to grow things themselves. They knew what was in their food. Uh, They knew about ingredients, but not necessarily with the mindset that they were doing it for health. It was just a way of being. It was tradition, and they just followed that tradition until we migrated to America. I was born there, by the way, and we moved here when I was three years old. So I don't necessarily have the same experience my brothers do that are older, that they actually experienced the farming lifestyle, um, the way that they raised animals um, out there was their own animals. Um, they raised, uh, they had fish as well in straight from the ocean, tons of trees. You could just pick any fruit off of the tree and eat whatever you wanted. Right. I feel like that was just like a natural part of our, you know, Latin culture. Like we were like the OG organic farmers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, organic wasn't a word. It was just not a word that we used because food was just food. So when my family moved here, they tried to follow that custom of how they make their uh, moro, um, rice and beans and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff and totones, but they're now not growing it themselves they're going to a store to buy it so you know our our life changes and now my upbringing is very much like everyone else the standard american lifestyle and i grew up not knowing a thing about (laughs) health or what is healthy how to uh do things right when you're pregnant how to uh raise a child because you want them to have the best development and the bre- the best brain function that won't interfere with their upbringing and how they develop in life so i was a very clueless person and i think that's very important to say because a lot of people focus on what they see me doing now and don't really remember or are aware that I wasn't always like this. I didn't Mm -hmm. just one day wake up and, you know, say I'm going to be like this from now on just because, and I wasn't raised this way either. So it was a transition. I think we have very similar stories in that aspect because I too had to like navigate through. I wasn't raised in it and growing up, like you said, in a standard American culture, it was, you know, a lot to just kind of, sift through and I don't I mean I think it's the same case for you but I would consider ourselves kind of like the pioneers for our family and that we become like the natural go-to people for them yes yeah yes and there's a lot you know now that you just said that there's that's a bittersweet thing because not everyone will want to listen not everyone is interested not everyone has the same reasons why they, they would be interested so it's something that I've learned I can't make anyone else change I just have to do me Right. And I know what you mean. And like my family, luckily, they're pretty receptive. So it's not like I have to do too much with them. But 
I mean, basically what you're getting is like, you know, you you can't force it and it has to be that they're interested in the information and just want to hear what we're saying. And I think when they see the changes in our life, like positive, especially in our health, then they're, you know, more curious about what we're doing in our lifestyle and stuff. But speaking of like being raised in a Latin household, what would you say is your experience as a Latina in the wellness space? Because I personally like going to different events and just kind of being in this little game in the not this little game, but, you know, like in this space for a while. Um, I just don't really see too many of us being represented. And I don't know if that's just because we as a culture just aren't really like we don't have too much access to maybe like more health based living. But um, what's your experience as a Latina in this space? Well, you know, it's it's weird. It's two. I have two thoughts on that. One is I the way that I am, I don't know how much is out there. Really, I don't necessarily follow um, a lot of wellness influencers. Like you're one of them that I follow that I just met you in Miami not long ago, right? We met in person, mm-hmm. we connected a little bit and I was like, oh, she seems cool. Let me follow her. So I don't really know of any other Hispanic, um, people that are involved in wellness, but I don't know what I'm trying to say is I don't know if it's because I'm just not so involved in looking or is it just, or is it just that it doesn't exist? But like you go to these conferences and stuff, like, do you see anybody? Cause when I look around, like I legit don't see anybody. Do you? Honestly, no. Now that, now that you mention it that way, I don't recall ever going to an event and connecting with another Hispanic person or any Latina or Latino a guy even. Oh, and men too them being in this type of uh, space where involved in wellness. You know, there's people that I may talk to and have like a small interest, but it's not necessarily what they do. It's not their focus. Right. Same, same. And it's like, I don't know, is it because, like you said, the people aren't out there or is it because the companies aren't diversifying their events enough? I don't know. You know what? And it also makes sense why maybe... In, the, in a lot of Hispanic cultures, we are very behind in being aware mm-hmm. of what healthy means. We are very declining. We're more used to following a tradition. And, you know, so maybe that's why there's this big decline. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, you know, for the Latin and, like, the Black community, too, we're the ones, like, we really need this information. We're the ones that are, like, very prone to diabetes and all these chronic illnesses. So access to this information is so necessary to our communities and then it's it becomes i feel like our job to be you know a voice and represent for our people and show them like hey there's better ways to live because yeah genetics plays some part in it but uh, lifestyle choices also has a big part in it too but you know what now that you mention um also in mentioning the, the black community i follow more wellness influencers that are black than like I said, you're the only one I can point out. You're the only one that can point out that is Hispanic. I follow others that are black, but none. Yeah. And I haven't seen any other except for you. Well, we need to change this and that's what we're doing. Um, but moving right along. So YouTube is your, uh, I would say your primary, um, platform, although you are killing it on all platforms, but it's changed a lot. So before, I think you could monetize earlier. Now it's like you need a thousand subscribers and like 400 hours watch time or whatnot. But what would be your advice? Because you have 1 million subscribers, which is an insane amount of, of subscribers. So what's your advice for anybody who's trying to utilize this platform as like their main source of just content creation? Um, like the best key advice you could give for someone? You know what, something I get this question a lot and I'm, I'm, I find myself constantly DMing people, um, answering the same thing. And one thing that that's important is that when I started YouTube, it was a much different time. And I started at, at, at a very good time that really benefited me because there wasn't as many influencers. You know, it, I, we weren't even called influencers. Um, it was 2010 when I started, by the way. And um, the people that were doing it back then were, you know, big people like Michelle Fawn. And even then she wasn't as big as she is now. And YouTube wasn't treated the way that it is treated now. So for me, it was just a hobby back when I started. So I didn't have that, the drive, you know, that I have now. And I, I wasn't thinking of it as, oh, this is going to become something big that um, one day it's going to be my career or anything like that. 
And that's very different from today because a lot of people go into it today already being aware that influencers are very well known. It can be a career. People are very interested in, in influencers and YouTubers overall, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on any platform, people are really responding to that. Um, so the intention behind starting uh, a platform on YouTube, starting your own channel, I think is very key as to how successful you become. And I'm not just going to repeat the same thing that everyone else is doing because how many people are just doing makeup tutorials, right? Mm -hmm. How many people are uh, just making skits or something like that? Um, and some are successful, some are successful, some are not. And we've, it's like, that's one of the reasons why I today don't really um, necessarily tune in too much to what other people are doing and how they're creating, because I know that naturally that can influence how I create right. and how I start making my own content, how I edit, how I speak on camera. And at the beginning, that was all cool. It was fun watching YouTubers, but now I'm at a point where it's like, I want to, I don't want that to mess up my own style. Right. Right. Exactly. Cause then I'm going to be influenced by this person and assume, wow, my content isn't good enough because I'm not doing it like her totally. or my, the way that I'm editing should be better because I saw this person do it that way. And as much as we tell ourselves, we don't want it. We don't want to copy anybody else. We don't want to be like anyone else because it's, that's really how it should be. It's hard not to, when you're too involved watching other people instead of doing that goes along with my tip on, if you're going to do it, do it for the right reasons uh, because you feel like you have something to offer first of all. And then a lot of people just, uh, just need to get up and do it because they're overthinking how they're going to do it, what they're going to do. And that's another one of my big advices is that n there is no YouTuber that I know that started off um, knowing exactly what to do and how to do it. If you look back into my videos in 2010, um, very early on, I love that they're up there. I love that they're still there for people to see that transition where I was very shy. I didn't know how to edit and I didn't know how to act on camera. I didn't know how to show my personality. Um, and through watching myself and just editing one video at a time, things just got better. And my personality started to show a little more on camera as I became more comfortable. A lot of people need to get out of that mentality that just because you see me and other YouTubers doing things so comfortably and it looks nice, we have nice backgrounds and it looks like good quality, it most likely will never start off that way. You need exactly. to work yourself up there. And it's just consistency too. Yes. The experience has to be your coach. That's what, what I always say. And that's so true. Like a lot of people, I think what stops them is their own fear or this chasing of perfection, like the need to be killing it right when they start. And that's just an unrealistic expectation. Like I look back at my old videos and just different things that I've done and I'm like, oh my God. But like you said, I'm glad they're there because it serves as like a marker in my journey and just in my growth to show like, hey, I'm, I'm making progress, you know? Yes. And you know what? Can I just tell you that I love watching your wild lip, little wild lip things that you do. And I think that that is something using you as an example, that's so unique because although it's not something, I'm not saying that you invented doing wild lips, but you're doing it within using better ingredients. And that looks so high quality and so artistic, so creative while using better ingredients that still look beautiful and still function. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And those wild lips for me is so great because my background is, you know, more artistic and I, they're such a great way for me to merge like my passion for art and creativity with wellness because I use it to like mostly for educational purposes. I try to incorporate like if different social issues or things that are prevalent and going on. Um, and I think that is a just kind of a side note, but for anybody who is a content creator and who is just interested in like different things and you're just like a multi-dimensional person don't feel like you have to be in a box and just pick one of those things as long as you make it flow like you can still share all the things you're passionate about but just kind of make it make sense so it's not sporadic and all over the place um and then also but before i move on to the next question i just wanted to say that i was like stalking your blog yesterday and we have so much in common as far as our like background um because like you're dominican and your husband's puerto rican right 
And then I saw that you had an unplanned pregnancy and so did I. And that was kind of like the catalyst or just kind of what started you on your wellness journey. And that's what started my wellness journey with my son. And then I also saw like you're like a stay at home uh, mom at first. And that was the same thing with my son. That And that's what allowed me the opportunity to really just kind of pursue blogging. And then I realized like, oh, crap, I can monetize this and actually make like a career out of this. Yeah, I totally relate to that. I mean, at first, um, one thing I, I want to say is that I wish I would have came across, you know, my interest in wellness. I wish it would have been there before having my son, because that would have helped us so much in, you know, knowing what to do and what the best thing would be for him. But I, I had no idea, like I said. So when I had my son, uh, for the first three years, I was doing doing things the same way, following the same things that um, my family did and just following everything the doctors would say, you know, same thing as everyone Mm -hmm. until he received, well, when we started to notice that he he was different, it wasn't something so clear to us at first um, because we never saw any, I never witnessed an autistic person. I never, like I've seen autistic people, but I never knew anyone close enough for me to really see what it looks like. Like what, what do they do? How are they different? I didn't know that much about it. Um, So when I started seeing my son have certain symptoms, they weren't as clear to any of us, his father or me. Um, Neither one of us have that experience until the symptoms just started to get worse. And then we got him diagnosed and we finally received that diagnosis. It was like, wow, okay. It, it, it was bittersweet because in one, one, in one hand, at least we know it has a name. We know what to look for. Um, and on the other hand, it's just a big shock where your dreams for your child and your, your, your heart is kind of just shattered because when you have a baby, whether it's planned or not, you never imagine your child uh, being harmed or, going through anything negative you just think of all the good things right you think of oh wow i'm gonna have a baby they're gonna go on to like do this i can't imagine when he goes to school he's gonna make friends he's gonna be crawling he's gonna be talking can't wait to hear what what he sounds like his voice you know one day he's going to grow up go to college get married you know all of these things and when you hear the diagnosis of autism it's kind of like wow how is he going to go on through life you know, uh, is he going to be able to accomplish these things? Is he going to be able to survive without us one day? So it's a lot, it's a lot to, to take in. It's a lot to, to think of. And I honestly, I have to say all the credit goes to his father because his father was the one who first dug into the natural side of things. And that is rare to say it's, I, when I talk to other moms that are mothers of autistic children, they usually tell me that they're having a hard time with their husbands or their boyfriends and, you know, that they have to convince them that they're not really agreeing on taking the natural route right. and things like that. And um, I, I got really lucky with him where he it, he put things together and it, it made sense to him on why we should try to change his diet. He connected it for me um, on how the gut system is connected to our brain. And anything that we put into it can either affect the brain or heal the Absolutely. brain. Absolutely. But we know that food can have a powerful effect on how well we prevent things from getting worse and how we can heal. And when you say symptoms, like what are some of the things you began to notice or some of the challenges you had to face? So from the beginning, one of the, the, the first signs that we saw was... Uh, that he was no longer looking at us, no eye contact. He, he was like, he was avoiding interacting with us, uh, looking at our faces and kind of res- giving a response. Even when a child isn't speaking, they, they can respond in other ways. Like if you call their name, they'll look at you or come to you or, you know, give you a certain response like, huh? They can show you that they're hearing their name and they're responding to that. And our son, he used to do that since he was a baby. And then around the age of one and a half, he stopped doing that. And um, at the time, we used to live with my father-in-law. And my father-in-law had his own room in our house where he would have, he would always call him like, Manny, come over here and, you know, kind of play with him. And my son would always come and run to him. And then one day, 
you know, he, my grandfather, my, my, uh, sorry, my father-in-law took a trip. And when he came back, he noticed a difference in him. Like, wait, he's not coming over to me anymore. And it's just, we thought it was, you know, we tried, we just brushed it off. We thought it was other things. Like maybe he hadn't seen you in a while. Maybe that's it. But he, we noticed that he was also doing that with us. People who see him every single day. It was as if he no longer knew his name. He was daydreaming. So these symptoms were very clear to us. And he also started to play with toys differently. He started spinning around in circles. And then that was something that wasn't there before. He used to say his ABCs before. He used to sing along to songs. So my grandfather, my, I keep saying my grandfather, my goodness, my <laughs> father-in-law suggested that uh, maybe he has a hearing problem. Maybe something happened that his hearing started to be affected. We got his ears checked. Everything was fine came back normal, the test came back normal. So we, that's when we found out the, um, the diagnosis is autism. And after finding that diagnosis, we immediately, my, well, my husband, after bringing, bringing me so much info on food, diet, and um, uh, filtering our water to reduce the amount of fluoride right. we're consuming every day exactly. and how that could have an effect on our bones yes. and our mental just applying those changes, I kid you not, within a month of just diet and water and no longer involving his diet with sugar, because the diet is a, is very specific. It's no sugar, no wheat, um, no processed foods, so no, no more snacks. And I'm telling you, that was a big challenge for a three-year-old. And it, it was a big challenge for us as well, because it was a whole entire house change. It was our whole family changing, and he wasn't used to eating this way. He was literally only used to eating about five things, a handful of things that were just all crap, nothing healthy. So um, once we applied that, I'm telling you within a month, we got eye contact back. He started looking at us and that small change of, a, of your child looking at you when you call them and just knowing that they're paying attention when you say something, they're, they are, they're at least getting their attention back is a big, big, big step from those severe symptoms that he had before. And, the, and other things just started to improve from there as we continued to do more and more for him and, and up, learn new things and then apply it into our lifestyle. And it, things just kept getting better. And we're still working on it today. He's 10 years old today. We started when he was three and a half and it's amazing. Man, honestly, I really commend you guys because I know that's not easy and especially when we're kind of conditioned to do things a certain way as a society and when you try to go the natural route sometimes you a lot of times we get criticism and just are made to feel guilty by certain practitioners or just certain people we know or even family sometimes so it can be really difficult and i just really commend you guys for being rooted in understanding what's best for your son and trusting your instinct as parents and not really listening to those outside voices for validation. And like I said, sometimes it can even be your own family that you have to ignore. Oh, I, I struggled a lot with my family. Like It took us a very, very long time to even get that support. And it just started to happen recently through a lot of fights and crying and just pleading them to please understand. Um, because we don't need them to fully understand, but the support is very important. And it, it was it was more of a struggle with my side of the family um, because my 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 family is more they don't like change. My husband's family is more of change is okay as long as for the good. we understand exactly as long as we understand why you're doing it and who you're doing it for. You know, as long as it's not for the wrong reasons. But with my family, it's more like oh you're changing. You're not going to come to. Uh, house parties anymore and dance with us that's all they're focusing on right, right. they're not gonna come eat our food and but it took it took me to have a really um uh strong conversation with my mom in the most respectful way possible where we had to stop even talking for a while honestly to be really honest we had to stop talking and we had to leave i had to isolate myself from my family because it was becoming too too stressful for me and too toxic because uh, they were acting as if I'm directly doing something to them. Not a lot of people know this, but it's one of the reasons why we moved to California in 2015. When my, when my channel started to really pick up and do well enough for um, my husband to quit his job and just me focus on doing this and um, really being the primary uh, provider, 
it was in 2014. And we chose to move to California, not just because it could be um, helpful for me to focus on my career. My management is out there as well. Um, you know, it's a great space to be a YouTuber, but it was more importantly because um, there were a lot of uh, things that we wanted to do in California, like hyperbaric oxygen chamber that we had the opportunity to do out there. We found a doctor out there that was great for our son. And just being out in the sun, um, living in a different environment where it's, it's just not like the New York overstimulating environment. Right. It was like, if we don't have the support here, why not just leave? And without any family in California, without any friends in California, we make it work, go away and be on our own. And we did that. We were there for a year, um, but we didn't like it. <laughs> so we ended up, we ended up moving back where we're not no longer living in the city of New York. We're living upstate New York where it's still far away enough from my family, but also close enough, enough to still visit. Like and it's, and trust me, it's, it's, it's helped a lot in, in my relationship with my mom because now she comes over and I have all the ingredients. Like I was sick recently and I, and you know, she, I asked her, can you make me some sancocho? <laughs> and she made it and she made it for me. And I had all the ingredients that she needed. And for those who don't know, sancocho is like the OG Hispanic, like all healing soup. It's got like potatoes and vegetables and it's just a classic like staple thing especially when you're sick yep it has uh, all like all types of vegetables yep so it's it's i had her make me that soup and she she she's already used to cooking for me at the house and what it's helped her see is that you would never know that there is any change in the soup from what she's used to because all it is is just organic cleaner ingredients exactly. you're still making it the exact same way that's one of the big misconceptions like i get people who, who don't know exactly and they tell me things like well what do you eat though because the food can be so bland and it's so boring and it's like what what are you talking about you can still eat the same things if you're not on a restricting diet you can still enjoy mango you can still enjoy moro you can still enjoy totones yes girl i say it all the time you especially for people like us that come from cultural backgrounds like you do not have to give up the foods that you grew up loving and eating it's just all about making healthier versions of it that's all it comes down to and even for us plant-based people i have veganized so many puerto rican staple foods it's not even funny so it's just a matter of just getting creative and just more knowledgeable about ingredients but half the time it doesn't even taste different in fact it tastes better so and then there is that aspect of it when you go out yeah sometimes there's no options available and people are like oh but it's inconvenient like how do you kind of live in that lifestyle but you just become so normal and it becomes such a custom part of your life where you just are already know to be prepared and have snacks and things that it doesn't feel inconvenient it feels empowering because you know that what you're doing for your body is worth that extra effort and i'm sure you feel the same way and like you have to go through similar things too yeah so and you know what it, it also influences other people in very positive ways i remember um i went to a couple events here in new york with other youtubers friends of mine who are not uh in the wellness field or care anything about organic at all but they know i do so when, when we were at these events, you know, um, sometimes I'm offered gum and I'm like, oh, no, thanks. Or I'm offered anything like to snack on. And I say, no, thanks. I have my own stuff in my bag, like mace yeah. and my own. I come with my own cute little water bottle and things like that. And a lot of times I'm uh, in, before somebody like if I have a friend of mine, like I was saying, uh, I remember, you, do you know a blogger by the name of Natalie? Um, she's my friend and I forgot her screen name <laughs> Natalie <laughs> XX3 X, there you go <laughs> no I don't think I'm familiar okay well she uh we were at an event one day and she's aware of of how I live my lifestyle and and before she even offered me like let's go to this restaurant or let's go to there she was very respectful and understood that I am different so she just said where do you want to go what do you want to do let's go somewhere and eat I know you know all awesome. the cool spots and we went to uh we went to a couple of places. We went to Whole Foods to eat many times together, like to just eat at Whole Foods. And they were exposed to like the buffet section there. Um, I've also been with friends to Juice Press here in New York. Yeah. And we another great spot is Hugh Kitchen. Sometimes I've taken I've taken meetings with, um, you know, clients and managers. Sometimes when my managers come over from California and we meet, we'll go to Hugh Kitchen and sit down and have lunch and talk. Yes, that's awesome. So speaking of management, I want to ask a question regarding them. So you're managed by a company called Gleam Futures. 
And what would you say are the benefits of being managed as opposed to doing everything yourself? And when did you know it was time to seek management? Because as content creators, we are in charge of a lot. I mean, we're the people that seek out our partnerships. We negotiate. We create the content. We strategize on on how to put out the content. So there's a lot on our plate. So how would you say that it's become beneficial for your brand and just you in general as a businesswoman to kind of have them help you and organize that aspect of your business? Well, I didn't always know when. I always knew that I, I, I wanted some type of help uh, with um, knowing the proper way to respond to companies and what opportunities to take, which ones to decline. So it's something that, that I think everyone, no one should jump into a management right away because I think it's important for you to know how to do that yourself, especially at a point when you can manage it on your own where it's not overwhelming yet. So True. for a long time, since from 2010 to 2014, I was doing that all on my own and with the help of my husband as well. And it did become overwhelming for us because the, the downside of doing it on your own is that uh, you have to be the good guy and the bad guy. So you have to find a professional way to speak to companies where you can also protect yourself and not necessarily involve yourself too personally, where you can call out when they're either trying to take advantage or not keep things professional or kind of deceive you into thinking, yeah, we're buddy, buddy, but we still need to talk on what's fair here. Like, right. But you have, so that's, that's, you're late on payment. <laughs> exactly. The, the, those things like being late on payments and, you know, dealing with negotiating what is fair, what is right for you, you know, how, how much, how, what your value is and trying to prove that to the company, trying to give them stats on what, how well your videos are doing when you do it this way versus doing it their way. You know, th those type of things right. can become very stressful and take away from the creativity that you should be putting to just creating content, Absolutely. focusing on that part. So that's the downside. But, um, like I said, it's very important to know how to do it yourself because there's also downsides to having a management too early. I wouldn't actually call it a downside. It's just certain things that people need to realize that it's not just about you taking off the stressful part. The management as well needs to get paid. And in order for them to get paid, you need to be making a certain amount of money that is beneficial on both sides. So a management with a standard management uh, uh, would take 20% off of whatever jobs they're getting you, which is fair because of them taking on that um, amount of work and exactly the emails, the uh, uh, ad as advising on what they think, uh, what jobs would be best or the type of jobs that they're um, based on your interest, whatever your interest is. In my case, it's only um, everything based on natural, organic and great ingredients. So my management already has that understanding where they're not going to bring me like a Colgate opportunity or, you know, Maybelline or anything like that. I have things that I will decline and not uh, that, that I will decline and things that I will be interested in. So um, the point is you have to know what your lane is, what you're interested in, because another thing with management that not a, not a lot of people uh, realize is that on the management side, they can't have two people or a couple of people that are doing all the same thing because then it becomes harder for them to figure out who this job is going to go to this girl this girl wow. and this girl that are doing the same thing gotcha so you're pretty much the go-to wellness person that they manage i am their gotcha. wellness person yes and there can be it doesn't mean that they they can't have any other girl that does that but it has to be done in a way where she still different. has to be different she still has to be way different than me. And so that far, thankfully, we don't have that because all of that comes to me. And those are the opportunities I get. And I'm already established in that. So that's, yeah. Do you think that the big partnerships that you have are because you had a management team? Like, do you think you would have been able to seek those out yourself? Or do you accredit like those opportunities being presented to you because you were managed? Um, there are certain things like I've done a, a commercial with glad like the glad bags and things like that i've done that and that's through my management there's there's a lot of things that i i um didn't get myself but there's also a lot of things that i already had partnerships that, and relationships that i already established that i that i just brought on to my management so that they could continue the business side of it so that i could have the work you know so i could focus on my content versus the business part so i would pretty much 
you know, even till this day, honestly, there's brands that reach out to me directly and I'll start the conversation and let them know that I'm interested. But to continue the negotiation part, I'll just be nice and say, hey, nice to meet you or whatever. And I'm very interested. Here's the email where we can continue this conversation. And then they're speaking to my manager when that happens. And then she's negotiating everything else for me. So it's kind of equal. You know, people can reach out. Brands can reach out to me directly. Um, or I could tell my manager, hey, I'm very interested in this brand. Like I just did that recently. I sent them a whole bunch of like food brands that I just found that seemed really cool. And just took a screenshot, said, hey, can we reach out to this brand? And they reach out on my behalf and continue that conversation for me. Would you say, well, I don't know how it works, but I'm curious. Let's say you found a partnership like on your own or somebody presented you with an opportunity. Like, are you obligated to involve your management into it? Or is it like on your say to say basis? Like, how does that work? So, yes, we it, it's it's just standard that I ha they have to be a part of everything. And the okay. reason for that and and. It makes sense. It's because if they're already keeping, so for example, here's a better way to explain it. Let's say I'm doing a job. What's a job I did recently? Oh, Nordstrom. Okay. Nordstrom is a job that I've been doing recently. It's a long-term contract. So okay. I've been doing Nordstrom for a while now, and I have specific dates that I have um, photos to submit for approval and things like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's a Nordstrom job that I got through my management. And I, we have set dates on that. Let's say there is a job that, like you just mentioned, that is uh, a company reach out, reaches out to me directly. I would not be able to manage that on my own and not involve my management because then that would involve dates to keep in mind as well. And um, strategizing when it's best to uh, gotcha. do the job. So if, if I'm hiring them, if I'm already paying them to manage my emails and negotiate things for me. I can't choose which ones they do. They have to do all of them because right. then That's at the fair. same time, they're keeping in mind my schedule, my right. calendar, when I'm doing what, at what point, when is, if, if I can't do a job this month, I can tell them, Hey, maybe we can do this, uh, catch up on this uh, a month from now and get the contract to be signed a month from now versus now, because I have too much going on. You know, those type of things, it can get very messy if I don't, if everything isn't just exclusively through them, whether it's a job that I got myself or not. And you know what? On top of that, there, there are jobs that I don't get paid for. Well, I wouldn't call them jobs because I don't get paid for them. There are things that I don't get paid for. Like there was this brush cleaning device that I, I saw on the Wendy Williams show. And I was like, that it looks amazing. I would love to try that. I don't want to buy it. So <laughs> I contacted right. my company, I contacted my, my management and surprisingly the brand is a UK brand, which is where the uh, original Glean Futures is originated. So they have access in UK as well. And they just got it for me just as a gift. And I often get things that I request. I say, hey, I like this luggage. Can you guys get me this luggage? <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll get me the luggage. And yes. I'm not getting, I don't, I don't get paid to, to I, I don't get paid by the company. And because I'm the one who requested it, I'm just, it's only the nice thing to do to post it because I'm the one who asked you to give it to me. Exactly. You know, it's not like a PR package where someone just sends me something because they wanted to send it to me in hopes that I, that I posted. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have even reached out if you weren't interested in it. So that makes sense. But um, just to touch base real quick on what you were talking about and it being messy, just in case people aren't aware, like when you're a content creator, the best thing you can do to just uh, for strategy with your content is create an editorial calendar. And that's just going to help you basically plan out your year and your months for different campaigns and things. So what Alba's saying in her case is um, she's really smart about involving her management in it because she doesn't want to accidentally book two campaigns in the same week or post, uh, you know, or schedule a post that where one huge campaign was supposed to launch and now you don't want to be double booked on something. It's just not a good look. So um, I think it's really smart for, for you to be very aware of your content and how it's going to be posted and how it's going to be um, organized and staying on top of that is, is really, really key if you want to be just successful at this whole content thing. So um, talking about management, though, so you're also a mom and a wife like like myself. So how is it balancing all of this? Would you, I would imagine that having a management team helps you balance it all. But like, how is it, you know, balancing this and being an entrepreneur? 
honestly, I'm a mess with that. Uh, it may look, <laughs> it may look <laughs> like I, I got it all figured out, but it's a, it's a constant uh, struggle, especially now with uh, having my almost two year old. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of mom that um, I really want to be involved with with my child, especially when they're this young, because the time just goes by really, really quickly. And it's very easy for me to just, um, you know, get uh, too involved with events and content creating and, and miss out a lot of time with her. Even though as an influencer, I work from home, it's very, it happened with my son as he started to get older, I became too focused on uh, my career as a YouTuber and um, it, put too, uh, it put a lot of the load on my husband. And we started to realize that that wasn't good because then it's, it's like, you know, nobody's win nobody wins here. Till this day, my daughter has never been babysat by anybody else except for my husband. I go to the gym for one hour, four days a week, and that's the only time I'm literally away from her. So creating content and having time to edit is a struggle. It takes me much longer now because she's not so used to not being with me. But I'm also at the same time trying to enjoy that time that I have with her now. And I know that um, later on as she gets older, she's naturally not going to want to be with me as much. And I will be able to pop out content the way that I used to super quickly like I used to before. And we just started talking this week about me filming two videos this week for me to just have ready and get it out there. And we're also talking about me hiring an editor and um, someone to help me film so that I can get things done on time and much quicker where I'm still filming the way that I like to film, but someone else is editing for me. And it's bittersweet because I like doing the editing process. I like doing my own editing, but, I, but the reality is that it takes time for me to do that. And Absolutely. like I said, it's been a struggle for me to pop out content and be consistent when I have to devote a week or two to editing just one video. And it takes me much longer than an editor who can do it in like two or three days max. Yeah. So this way I can, I can still have more content going up on my, my, my YouTube and my Instagram more frequently instead of doing something once a month, like I have been doing lately. And it's, it's something that, that, you know, I'm struggling with, but, um, we're still trying to prioritize our kids above the content. Oh, totally. Like, it's definitely a challenge balancing it all. I can relate to that one million percent. But um, so next question is related to your collaboration with Derma E. So if, for those who don't know, Alba put out a product basically in collaboration with Derma E. It is her Radiant Glow face oil. And... I don't know if you're even uh, able to talk about this, but what insight can you give to anybody who's interested in collaborating with a brand in producing their own product or just putting out a product uh, with their name on it, basically? Yeah, I can. I can definitely share that. It's uh, Derma E was a very, very special product for me. Uh, well, a collaboration for me, I was trying to say, uh, because Derma E is a brand that um, I found myself many years ago. I started using them in 2013. Um, and I started the, the whole collaboration started because I was sharing videos just on my own. No, no um, uh, partnership or no sponsorship involved in 2015. So it all started then. And um, coincidentally, when I shared a couple of videos using Derma E, it's like, oh, I found these products at Whole Foods because I was going through acne. And when, when I was in California, my skin changed when we moved there. So anyway. Um, when I was in California, I started sharing a couple of videos, mentioned them in, in a couple of my videos and a couple of months went by and the son of the owner of the company sent me this amazing email. Um, and he was telling me an email how in the email, it started off like a, like a friendship kind of a conversation where he just was this beautiful email where he just said, Hey, I want to thank you for sharing um these products with your with your um uh audience and i just wanted to tell you a little bit about my family and our history of derma e and he told me this amazing story of how they started way back in the 70s with just a bar of soap and how his father started the company how proud he is to to work for his father and and be a part of the company himself and all of these amazing things and um then they offered me, this is before having a management, they offered me to 
for us to continue working together because they see that I genuinely like the brand and we like each other. So they offered me a, a sponsorship. I did a couple of sponsorships, like two, three videos max, but I continued to post them on my own because I genuinely like the brand. And in 2017, 2016, sorry, 2016, um, which is a year later from, from 2015 when we started the conversation of just sponsorships. In 2016, the brand reached out and to my management at that point and said that, you know, they've been loving my content for forever now and uh, they would love to for me to be the first ever person they collaborate with. And if, if I'm interested in ever making a product that isn't out there, that's unique, if I want to share ideas with them, I can. And my idea, I had several ideas. And the one that stuck was the Radiant Glow Oil, which didn't have a name at first, but it was basically a multi-purpose oil. And the, the what I can say for anyone else trying to create something with a brand, collaborating, it can't just be any brand. It has to be a brand that you genuinely like naturally develop a relationship with because this way they understand your story, what your interests are. It has to match so well. Like if it, like I genuinely care about these people, the people that I've met in their company that are behind the scenes that no one's, no one can put a face to except for me because I know the company. Right. It's a really special relationship. And even beyond my oil, I can still see us, uh, having dinners and catching up with each other and, you know, going out together, even even beyond my oils. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I would imagine like if you're going to put your name on something, it has to be something that you really resonate with and something you really believe in. And that should be the case with like any brand that you work with, even if you're not putting out a product like just in general. But like as far as the formulation process, like how involved were you? I'm curious in that process, like were you testing it, like going back and forth with them, like able to actually feel and see the product? Like how, how involved were you in that process? Very, very involved. Uh, so uh, very involved in this. I'll be more specific. So it started off with just uh, sharing what I wanted to make my idea and what ingredients it would have. So I came up with the ingredients and the, the product uh, idea was all mine. And um, I sent over a list of ingredients that I would that I definitely want to be included in the oil. And then them as a professional who actually, because I don't formulate products, I don't know what else needs to be added in there to make these ingredients work. And the blend that needs to be created, the amount of each ingredient, how, how what percentage of each ingredient has to go in there, then that's on them. I just came up with what ingredients I want in there and uh, how important it was for me for them to be sourced organically. Yes. So that was, that's the part that I had control on. And then they control um, the percentage of each ingredient and add in other ingredients that uh, they added in like two other ingredients that I didn't select that just make the product function and mix well. So, um, and all source ethically uh, uh, vegan and um, cruelty free, all of that, all of these um, standards still remain because their whole brand is built that way anyway. So I didn't really have to ask them for much as long as the ingredients I requested are sourced organically. That's what was most important to me. From there, they started to make prototypes. So the whole process of our formulation of the oil that you guys are seeing in stores today took about 10 months total. 10 to 11 months. Wow, total. that's crazy. Uh, also, let everybody know where they can find it because I forgot to like mention where you can actually buy your oil. Yeah, it's available in so many places. Uh, Whole Foods, Ulta, Target. Um, uh, those are the main places, but there's also other stores like Lassen's and Sprouts, which are available in California. Um, and online shops like iHerb. Um, also internationally, uh, iHerb ships internationally. And we also have a Canadian website called um, well.usa. No, well.co. Yeah, there you go. Well, no, sorry. Again, wrong one. Well.ca. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Well.ca. That's for, can for Canadians. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's available in quite a few places and little stores that are based on uh, natural ingredients like that. So like I was saying, there was a lot of prototypes and a lot of scents to go off of because at first there was no fragrance, but I wanted to have some type of light fragrance involved in there that um, can 
make the product me so that when you smell the product, it's like, okay, this is Alba's product. This represents who I am. So we went through many different kinds of fragrance. I wanted the fragrance to be natural as well. I didn't want it to be overwhelming because it is something that's multi-purpose and it's going to be placed on someone's face. So we have to be very careful with that. And that's something that we both kept in mind. And we also, the company, not a lot of people know, has a dermatologist, Barbara, her name is, um, involved in all of their formulas. So she is certified as a dermatologist and she is uh, very aware of what can and can't work on the face when you blend ingredients. So when you see our official launch video, you can see Barbara and I in the lab together mixing ingredients together and talking about the importance of each ingredient that I chose and why we think it's a really great oil for so many different things, the high amount of antioxidants that it has, um, uh, how it hydrates the skin, how it absorbs into the skin so well for all skin types. All of these things were really amazing to uh, be involved in. Um, so going back after I had like seven or eight samples of the prototypes, out of all of these, when I find the right formula after testing, there's like little two ounce bottles that they would send to my house like every two weeks or so. As every, with every prototype, I would send back feedback and say, I don't like this. I do like this. This is how it feels. Can we make it feel more this way or that way? Because keep in mind, I, we weren't in the same state. They're, they're formulating in California. And at this point, I was in New York. So that's why Much the conversations. And... Yeah. So that's why the, the conversations had to go back and forth this way, as opposed to me being there in person and looking at the prototypes in person. So it took a little more time because they had to ship it to my house. I had to try it out and then send them feedback. And then they would make the next prototype with the feedback that I would send. So it took about eight prototypes until we, I found, I felt like we had the right formula. And when we got the right formula, I said, this is the one I like number seven point, whatever. And they would go back and make that formula. And then we started the next process, which is discovering what scent works best in the oil. So they would come back and send me more prototypes with different scents. And then when I chose the, the scent that I loved, actually the scent one we did in person, actually. Uh, it was uh, after we did, a um, what's that event that, Generation Beauty, there you go. We did a, an event with Generation Beauty one day and we went to dinner and while we were at dinner, she's like, I brought the prototypes with me. We have five options here for scents that we think you will like. And you can, and, and after I smelled the one that I chose, it, um, it was called Orchid Something, the scent. After I smelled that one, I was like, I don't need to smell anymore. This is the one. So we chose that one. And then from there, we went to what is the right name for this product? And not a lot of people know this. I've said this before, but not everyone knows that I did not want the word face oil on the packaging. I was kind of, uh, we had to kind of pick whole, uh, uh, face oil because of the um, rules of stores like Whole Foods, for example, where if your product says what I originally wanted was multi-purpose oil on the on the packaging. So I, I didn't want it to be late for people to look at the oil and just think that this is just for the face. Um, but there was a big uh, confusion there for all of us because it's like, oh man, we, we don't, if we make it just for the face, no, I'm sorry. If we make it just multi-purpose oil, Whole Foods won't place it in the front of the beauty aisle where customers can really see it. It'll be placed in a different section because that's their rules. Where if a product is multi-purpose, it's going to be put with the body products, which is often the bottom shelf. You know, oh. so it doesn't really fit in there well because we don't want it to be Get hidden. Lost. Exactly. So we we made the decision to change the labels to uh, face oil. And then my idea that I said, okay, that's fine, but what if we can put something inside the product, like a little note inside and on the outside of the packaging on the back that lets people know they can use it in every other part of their body. And so that's what we did. Wow, that must be so crazy for you, right? Like when you go into stores and see your product and like, yo, like I helped make that. Like that was a part of my vision, right? Yeah, it is. It really is a, a, an amazing feeling. Like even though I didn't necessarily own the factory and have people make it, you know, the, myself with, I chose the ingredients. It was my idea and they helped make that come to life. And I'm very grateful for that. That is too dope. But I don't even know if you're allowed, like if it's part of your NDA to not talk about this or what, but how does it work with like the financial aspect of it? Like, do you get like a 
one-time licensing like payment agreement or do you get royalties on every like SKU that you sell like how does it work with that I do I do get a percentage of oh, the okay. sales so um, I get a percentage from online sales and store sales so it's something that they on their side um, um, they know how much they're selling from my particular right. oil and then I get a cut from the sales and that's like a lifetime thing like while the product is on shelves so the way that my my particular so not everyone who does a collaboration has the same contract but for my particular one it started off because it, on the business side on the on their side they have to also protect themselves of they course. can't necessarily make a lifetime uh um uh agreement with me without really knowing that it'll continue to do well forever you know no one's ever going to be sure of that especially with me a, i'm a youtuber and anything can happen with my views or my sales and um anything can happen as far as uh i'm not i'm i'm not always going to be selling the same way and i've never sold anything in the past to even prove that i can sell something right they kind of took a chance on me so just because i'm a youtuber doesn't mean that i can sell something well so anyway uh or because I have the views or whatever. So we started off with just being a year. It was just a year. Give it a year. And this is something that the audience doesn't know, but I know uh, from our side that for a whole year, we're gonna sell this product, see how it does. And if it continues to do well, logically, we're gonna continue to sell it. If it doesn't do well, then it's only fair that it wouldn't, uh, we would then take it off the shelf. Discontinue it or something, right. Exactly. So. It, uh, it did well, obviously, and it <laughs> continued for. So after that year, we just um, re-signed for another year. And until it just doesn't make sense to continue selling it, whether for my own personal views or their um, reasons, that's how we're dealing with it. Yep. And oh, it's still continuing to do well. So it's still in stores. Well, like, congratulations, girl, on all your success. I mean, obviously, I'm biased because I'm extra happy about you being a Latina. I mean, it's amazing to see you killing it. So um, the last question is kind of a two-part question that I have um so like I mentioned you've grown your YouTube channel successfully but that's not the only platform that you've grown you've also got like close to half a mil on Instagram and then you've got a large following on Twitter too so what would be your advice for anybody who's trying to grow their online presence and then uh what is your long-term vision or goal for your Sunkiss Alba brand ah so one thing I will say, I've been saying this lately, is that, see, when I started, uh, Instagram wasn't around when, when I first started. It came on, like, a little bit later. Um, and I have seen a lot of people, like, really jump off through Instagram first before getting to YouTube. And I think it's very smart to do that. And the reason is because more people now are on their cell phones um, on social media more hours of the day than they are tuning into YouTube watching videos, depending on the content. Um, but most likely you can really gauge in a lot of eyes if you're doing things really well on Instagram. And then that audience that you have on Instagram, you can naturally uh, start transfer a YouTube labor, later and transfer it over. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, Instagram is the way to go. Um, it doesn't have to be YouTube first, just because a lot of us from a lot of us OGs started on YouTube first, just because we had to. That was the thing back then. But now I think it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then your second is, question. Yeah. What is your long term goal or vision for your Sunkiss Alba brand? So, yeah. So that's a that's um, I have a couple of goals um, that are long term. One of them is to have my own brand. Um, as Sunkis Alba or Alba Ramos. It's something that, I, that I'm actually still working on um, and it takes a lot of work and I've been working on it for a while, have many ideas, just need to find the right way to do it and it takes time. So that's a, that's a big goal. And then um, I have other goals that I don't know how to put into words, but I would like to have a business out of that as well, like a standing business that also focuses on health like supplements and things that are great for children and you know maybe coming up with a fun way to cook with kids yes girl i say do it all and i'm so excited to follow along and see the continued growth for your brand and just all your success but um let the people know also where they can find you 
Um, so I am Sunkis Alba on all platforms. I also have my website, sunkisalba.org, which I'm very passionate about blogging there now. I, it's a new website, so I have a couple of uh, important topics that are out right now on my website. Um, but I do plan on diving into a lot more topics that are important like those. That, that's the place where I really talk about topics as opposed to beauty, just being beauty. Um, and then my YouTube channel, my Instagram, everything else is Sunkiss Alba. Perfect. And that's sun, like S-U-N, kiss Alba, and it's all one word. But thank you so much for taking the time to just join me today and chat and provide all your insight. I so appreciate it. Thank you. It was very fun. Yes, likewise. So be sure to check her out, guys. Give her a follow. She's doing big things, super inspiring. Also, be sure to rate and subscribe to my podcast, The Wellness Beast. This is only the beginning of many episodes that are truly inspiring. I got some great guests on my roster, y'all. So until next time, peace and blessings.